You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. This morning we're continuing our thoughts from the book of Hebrews uh, around the theme that Jesus is better. And I don't know how many of you are aware of the Ten Commandments. My sneaky suspicion all of you have heard of them. Uh, I don't know how many of you can articulate them all and it doesn't really matter. But uh, you all know, everybody knows a few of them. Uh, things like, uh, you know, Thou shalt not steal. We all, we all vote for that one. Thou shalt um, not kill, murder. We all realise that's important. Um, thou shalt not commit adultery. All these things are dehumanising. All these things are taking away from your humanity. That's why, that's why the Bible encourages us to, to, to steer away from them. Don't go there. Uh, it's not good for you. Now, funnily enough, included in that list, along with don't murder don't steal, etc., is the importance of honouring the Sabbath. Uh, It's the importance of understanding rest. And and this morning I want to suggest to you that we're living in a society today that doesn't understand rest. Uh, I hope this morning that when you leave here, you leave a lot more rested than you were when you walked in through these doors. Because rest is an important part of your humanity. It's an integral aspect of who you are. And yet today I think we've lost completely the work-rest relationship and so we have a society that has never indulged itself in more um, uh, tablets to try to settle its heart down. We've never been so stressed. We've seen we've never been so overworked. I want to suggest there's a number of reasons, but two uh, just quickly, uh, one quickly and the other one um, slowly. <laughs> the other one I want to j- dwell on in a moment. The first one I think is technology. You know, you carry these things around in your pockets and, and so you've got your email with you almost wherever you are 24-7 and someone has a brainwave and sends you an email and you get it and think, oh, I need to reply to it now. So there's kind of your, wa- your work follows you around perhaps more than it ever has before. And th- that's perhaps one reason. But I think another reason and... Perhaps a more profound reason and uh, more significant, and really, uh, it, it's, gonna, um, it's, it's going to drill into where we want to go when I come to the book of Hebrews in a moment, is uh, the loss of family identity in our society today. Let me explain. There was once upon a time a society where you drew your identity from who you belonged to. I was such and such as son, daughter, brother, sister, mother, father, or whatever, but my identity was primarily drawn from whose I was. Those days are completely gone. Today, your identity is very much vested in what you do. And people want to know, what do you do? And you pretty much draw your value in society, your identity, your sense of self-worth from your achievements. Once upon a time, uh, you, got, you went out and you had a career or you got a job for the express purpose of supporting a family. It was to bring value back to the apex of society, which was the family. Uh, now, you use your family as a springboard out into your career. Because that's the focus. The focus is in what you do, not in who you belong 
two, there's been a, a shift in focus. C.S. Lewis said uh, decades ago now, he, he made the observation that the apex of society is the family. Now you might say here this morning, well, I don't belong to a family, I don't have a family. Now, well, that's probably not true. Uh, you must have a sibling somewhere or a parent somewhere or, or even if you don't, the Bible says God puts the fatherless in families. Um, Lewis observed that the apex of society was the family and he went on to say that every profession exists purely for the, for the sustaining of the family. For example, the medical uh, fraternity exists to keep the family healthy. Trades exist to keep the family housed and on and on it went all professions were subordinate to and there for the protection and the propagation of the family that has now shifted uh, you've got to read the book of hebrews in the light of the book uh, the, the four, first five books of the bible the book of genesis in particular but the torah the first five books of the bible because hebrews had had um had pretty much memorized it so when you read the book of hebrews to really comprehend it you've got to do so kind of in the light of genesis in particular but those other four books the, the torah uh, in general and uh, in the book of of genesis i want to read to you from a, a genealogy two genealogies that i find this i find this absolutely profound all right so some of you may have never ever heard this before i don't care how long you've been coming to church but this struck me these last few weeks and I've just, it's blown my mind. Um, reading to you from the genealogy of, this is all boring, the genealogy is what so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so. I want to show you something. In Genesis chapter 5 verses 3 to 6, I'm not going to read everything, but just to give you a, a general idea, it says when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness and after his own image, his name was Seth. It says then Adam lived another 800 years. And then it says, when Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And on and on it goes, down to the end of the chapter, the 32nd verse, which, which is all about when Noah comes onto the scene. My point is this, all you see through that genealogy is how long this one lived and who they were connected to, who their father was and then who their offspring was. And that's how they're identified. Now... Through that process, we come across a fellow by the name of Enoch who was not because he walked with God. Enoch was so at one with God that God took him. He didn't ever die. He's walking around in heaven today in his physical body. One of very few, Jesus and, and Elijah. <laughs> Only three physical bodies in heaven. Uh, Elijah was taken up in, a, in a, uh, a chariot of fire. Jesus was bodily resurrected from the dead. And this guy... And it ends in Noah, and Noah was the saviour of mankind. Now, in Genesis chapter uh, 4, there is another genealogy. This is completely different. So, so interesting. It says that uh, Adar gave birth to Jabel. And Jabel was the father of all who lived in tent and raised livestock. Now we're getting an insight into what they did more so than whose they were. It's mentioned, but the focus is on what they did. And then there was Jubal, who was the father of all those who played the string instruments. And Zila, uh, who begot Jubal, who was the father of all those who forged tools from bronze and so on and so forth. That genealogy 
ends at a fellow by the name of Lamech who was a double murderer. (laughs) One genealogy, no idea of what they did, but an understanding of whose they were ends in the Saviour. When there's a focus on what they did, it ended with a double murderer. Selah. Have a think about that. I just thought that was so interesting. Particularly in light of what we're about to read. Just file that back in your mind. And, and, and let's, we're going to dive in here to the book of Hebrews. And we're going to find rest. Now, this bunch, this Hebrew lot, needed rest, obviously. They were under enormous pressure. And the author of this book writes to them about the key to rest. And we're going to read from the first five verses of Hebrews 4. We could read down to verse 12, but it gets a little confusing, all right? You might get a little confused with all of this, but hang with me and we'll, we'll try to untangle it a little bit. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to, be, to have fallen short of it. Okay, so there's a rest for you. There's a rest for these Christians. There's a rest for these people. But you can fall short. In other words, you cannot enter into this rest. Hmm, Okay. Uh, For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, who is they? They are the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and entering into the promised land, the book of Exodus. I said, you've got to read this through the prism of the first five books of the Bible because they're Hebrews. That was Hebrews had, had memorized that. So that's what he's talking about there. Uh, they did not obey. Um, goes on and says, Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declare on oath in my anger, they shall not enter my rest. And yet, his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall enter my rest. Gosh, it's confusing, isn't it? And uh, are they going in? Are they not going in? Are they resting? Are they working? I don't know. Do you know? <laughs> You've literally got to write that out verse by verse to try to comprehend what's going on here. I want to suggest to you there are three kinds of rest that are mentioned here. There's a physical rest, an external rest. There's a rest for the inner man, for your soul. Uh, for your spirit, for, for who you are, and then there's an eternal rest that's also alluded to in the passage. We're going to focus more on that second. The first rest, which is a physical rest, uh, he quotes Psalm 95 there, where he talks about the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and they're going to die in the wilderness. They're not going to enter into the rest of the promised land. Now that was a physical rest. That was a sense in which we can decide when we work and when we don't. Because when we were slaves, we had no option. When the master said up, we were up. We had no rest. We had no capacity to choose. We merely were cogs in a wheel. 
We are no longer cogs in a wheel. I'm no longer slave to my materialistic society. I'm not a slave to the identity I get from what my work gives me. I can put parameters around it. I can now choose rest. I can have a holiday, right? I can switch off. I can rest. Really good. Verse 4 says, On the seventh day God rested from all his work. Now I find that a little curious, don't you? Because God never needs to rest. The Bible talks about the fact that God doesn't sleep, he doesn't slumber, right? You walk to the bus stop and you need a rest. God never rests. God, maybe you can't make it quite to the bus stop, I don't know, but... (laughs) But you know what I'm saying, you exert physical energy and then you've got to rest. That's the case for everybody in this room. But it's not the case for God. God never exerts energy to the point where he needs to stop to recharge, to recuperate. That's not a rest that God enters into because that's not a rest that God needs. So what is this rest that he Um, that he entered into what is this rest that God needed or that God modeled for you and I it was a rest that was based upon the fact that his work was finished right he looked back upon creation and he was satisfied it was satisfied there was no more any kind of well this needs to be finished and there's still to do that and we're not quite arrived there yet and this has not not been done and the list is there and we're not at the end of the list no it was finished so God rested you see here's the thing there is a weariness about us that sleep doesn't solve and you know that to be true because you've had a night's rest and you've woken up and you're still tired there is a tiredness that's merely stopping work does not solve if you think that rest is merely about not doing then you miss the story that's involved in this rest you see uh, the commentators talk about the eternal murmur of self-reproach and and what that is talking about is that there's inside of me there's this sense in which I've got to prove myself inside of me there's this sense in which I've got to do more inside of me there's a sense in which I'm still striving I'm reaching out I'm trying to achieve something and there's this workaholism that's made its way into our mindsets it's made its way into our homes there's this weariness that no vacation seems to solve and we become slaves slaves to the expectation of others Boy, they've got a real short fuse. I don't want to get them offside. I better go and do this, right? Or, or, or slave to the expectations of the social system. You know, the right thing for me to do is I've got to, get, I've got to keep up appearances. I, I've got to try to make the grade. I've got to be accepted by my group. Um, or even the expectation of ourselves. What is interesting in this passage, and I've just read it, and you might have missed it, Because it said this rest that we uh, have been called to enter into can only be entered into by faith. They didn't have faith. They couldn't enter into the rest because of a lack of faith. That rest comes through believing the gospel. There is a deeper rest than merely the giving up of work that is only available to those 
who believed the gospel. That's why it said in verse 3, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would would not have spoken later about another day. There is another rest. Joshua took them to the promised land. That uh, That was a physical rest. But there's a a rest for your soul. There's a rest for your inner man that is not found in having a respite from labor. So how do you enter into it? (laughs) You can read all the way down about rest. It finishes at verse 11 and verse 12. It shows us the entrance, the access to this rest. Now this is a horrifying verse. I will... Put it out there before I read it, okay? This is, this is a bit jarring. It's, it's a bit off-putting. When you read it, you think, what's it about? And how is its reference to rest? Uh, just hang, I'm going to read it, okay? And then, and then we're going to discuss it. It's verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 4. It says, so how do you enter into this rest? He says this, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of of the heart. Oh, that feels resting, doesn't it? <laughs> There's nothing so resting as having a knife put to your throat, I always say. <laughs> it goes on and it says this, but wait, it gets better. <laughs> uh, nothing is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare. That word uncovered there means stripped naked. How many know there's nothing more resting than being stripped naked in front of others? <laughs> Laid bare the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And everybody said, oh, amen. That's the way to rest. A knife to your throat and take all your clothes off. That would be so restful. (laughs) I don't know how anybody's vision of rest is caught up in that, right? In fact, I might even suggest the opposite. (laughs) I might even suggest if you knew that was what tomorrow was bringing, you probably wouldn't sleep much tonight. (laughs) So what's the connectedness between those verses and the preceding eight? Which is promising us a rest, a rest for our soul, an inner rest. Not just the rest that comes from the putting down of the tools, but a rest that that literally recreates the inner man. And and the answer is is this. You've got to understand This through the book of Genesis, I'll say it again. And it's talking about a spiritual nakedness. You've got to come to grips with with being spiritually naked. Adam and Eve were naked in the garden and completely at rest. Now that, 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 that concept of Adam and Eve's nakedness was not just a physical lack of clothing. What it literally means was they were completely laid bare. There was nothing hidden. They were at rest because it was finished. They weren't proving anything to anybody. They had arrived. They were there. They could wander around without a stitch on and not be concerned about what anyone would say about them because they were complete. And then, of course, they decided to go it alone, and we've decided to go it alone. And the minute we decide to go it alone, there's something on the inside of us that kind of says, you know something, you're not fit to be God. (laughs) You don't have what it takes to be the ultimate arbitrator of this world. And so what do we do? Society doesn't believe in sin or guilt. 
But the strange thing is, deep down inside, we know there's something wrong with us. If we didn't know there was something wrong with us and the world, we wouldn't need the pills that we need. And we are diagnosed all kinds of neuroses and conditions and issues. And maybe this is something profound here this morning. Maybe the issue is tied up in what Hebrews is trying to tell us here. That there is an inner rest that this world has lost sight of because we've lost sight of the gospel. Jesus is a better rest. (laughs) Why was there such perfectionists and control freaks and pretense? What this is all about is fig leaves. It's trying to cover the fact that I don't think I'm good enough. That I'm not sure I make the grade. That I'm not sure I've arrived. And so I'm striving to that self-acceptance. I'm striving to feel I have social approval. I'm, I'm striving to kind of get to that point where I, I, I might have made the grade. He says in verse 10, For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works. Their work, but their works just as God did from his. See, there's nothing wrong with work, right? There's nothing wrong with working hard. You need to work hard. You should work hard. Um, You've got to work hard to love people. How many know that's true? (laughs) You've got to work hard to be a good person. That's right. You've got to work hard to be good at your job. There's nothing wrong with working hard. That's not the point here. Remember what we just read about the sword that reveals the motivation of the heart? You know the reason why the people, there's no rest in people's lives is because even their goodness, they're nice to people so that they can be accepted by people. See, even their selflessness is selfishness. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? People's selflessness, no, I've got to, I got to, I got to serve, I've got to serve in church because I want people to think I'm a good person. You know, I, I want people to think I'm, I'm, I'm part of it. And my selflessness is selfishness. It comes back to the motivation of the heart. It's all a motivation thing, is what we've just read. You see, the, the thing that separates you, what we can, can learn here and understand, the thing that separates you from your rest, and from your God is not so much your sin, right? It's not so much the things that you do that are wrong. Now, let me say to you, if you're doing things wrong, by all means, stop it. Right? I'm not encouraging it. But most of us kind of try to stop the stuff that we're doing wrong. What separates me from my rest is my self-justifying good works. You see, Pharisees repent of their sin. The real problem is not the repentance from what I'm doing wrong. The real problem is the lack of repentance for the reason I do right. Did you understand that? The real problem is the lack of repentance for the reason. My my reason is self. My reason is I want to be okay or I want to be better or I want to get something in return. Your sin or your self-justifying good works is what separates us from our rest. See, 
You can say it like this. You say, I'm going to study. I'm going to be a good person. You know, I'm going to study the Bible. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to get into a connect group. I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray every day. I'm going to do that. And you can kill yourself in the process. <laughs> because it's, it's, it's trying to get something rather than as a result of something. How many of you in this room have heard of the movie Chariots of Fire? Hands up if you've heard of the movie Chariots of Fire. Okay, nearly everybody. I don't know how many can remember the movie, but... but Go home and watch it again if, you, if you're struggling to believe what I'm about to say. Because in that movie, and this I think really captures, captures the picture of, of it for us. Harold Abrams is one of the runners in Chariots of Fire. And he says this, I'm running the 100 metres because I know when the gun goes off, I have 10 seconds to justify myself. I'm running so I can feel good about myself. Harold Abrams. Eric Little says this, God has made me fast, and when I run, I feel his good pleasure. I'm pleasing to God because I'm using what he gave me. One man running in order to be sure of who he is. The other man running because he knows who he is. You see the difference? One man weary even when he's resting. Did I run fast enough? Did I prove myself? Did I get into the next round? Did I make the cut? And one man rested even while he's working. Because he's running. Because God has made him fast. See the difference? Can I suggest to you, But the difference is so profound. The difference is between the two genealogies that I read to you in the beginning. The Lamech and the Noah genealogy. One finishes up saving the world and one finishes up murdering his brothers. It's the difference between the rest of the soul and this constant am I, can I, will I, which finishes up in self-centeredness, selfishness, and read the genealogies for yourself. See, if I put a recorder around my neck, and over the, my life I recorded everything, and this would, this would be really bad for me because I do this for a living, <laughs> I recorded everything I tell people they should do. <laughs> Forget me, you. <laughs> if you were to wear a recorder, <laughs> and you were to record Everything that you tell people they should do. Forget about what God says. Forget about what your mother says. Forget about what, I don't know, Buddha says or anybody. Just what you say people should do. You know full well that if that was played back to you in the final analysis, you would not make the grade. You don't even live up to your own standards. That's why we need fig leaves, right? There's something within us, isn't there, that kind of hopes that in the end God makes all this injustice right. The kind of God sorts out all the mess that is of this world. We kind of really hope that will happen, but we kind of characterize it in the sense that I'm not part of that injustice. I'm okay. The rest of the world is crazy. And we can't bear our own spiritual nakedness before God 
And that's the problem. You see, where do we go? And we're not going to read because we could read the rest of the chapter and we'll get on to this in weeks to come. But where do we go? The next verse tells us where we go. We have a high priest. We have a high priest who was cut off from the land of the living. We have a high priest who was stripped naked so that we could be clothed in his glory and in his love. Jesus experienced a radical restlessness. You could even define it as a cosmic restlessness. As he was on the cross and he yelled out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was thrown into a hell, a torment. So that you and I could have a heavenly peace on the cross. He said, it is finished. What is finished? I can tell you what's finished. What is finished is any need for me to have to perform to get his approval. It's finished. It's done. I can rest. I am complete. I have arrived in him. And when you know that you are delighted in, that you are sung over by the only set of eyes in the universe to whom you ultimately must give an account. There is a rest. There's a rest. Jesus said, didn't he? He said, come to me and I will give you rest. He didn't say, go to a Pacific island. (laughs) He, he, he didn't say, uh, put down those tools. He didn't tell you what you should do or what you shouldn't do to get rest. He said, come to me. He is a better rest. He is where we find rest. He's better than a weekend away, folks. He's better than an RDO. He's better than a long service leave. Here's where we find rest for our soul. Rest from what? Rest from this self-justified doing that so plagues the human consciousness today. If you don't believe this, you know, you've got to want this. I reckon we want this to be true because where else do you find rest? If this isn't true, then what is another? Is there another way? <laughs> Nobody's given us a, a, another way to find rest. B- because you never know if you've arrived. <sighs> you never know. Is, is there a better truth? Is there a better way to life? You see, we actually should want the gospel to be true. <laughs> Even if you don't believe it. If you understand it, man, it is so incredible that you would want it to be true. Um, the gospel is its like a fire. Have you ever been in a, a really cold house? I know that's difficult for us to imagine. Or this morning maybe took us slightly closer than the last few weeks. But uh, imagine a, a cold house, if you will, and a house that has a fire in one of the rooms in the corner and you stand by that fire and you, the heat emanates and you warm up and you're able to do things. You know, you're able to be released to think or to read or to enjoy a magazine or a book or whatever. 
And then you've got to go off and you've got to do something in another part of the room. And so you, you leave the fire, it is cold, and be, before too long the, the frigid air starts to grip your bones and you, you start to shake and you, you start to jump up and down and try to get warm. And you can't quite get there, but you're trying really hard because it was really warm back there, it's cold over here, but I've got to get heat back into my, into my body. And so you move, and you, but you can't rest, you can't enjoy. You've got to go back. To the heat. You know what we've got to do, folks? We've got to constantly come back to the gospel. Because the gospel is where the fire is. Because the natural, the natural inclination of your heart and the natural inclination of my heart is to self-justification. Let's be honest. That's where we Lean. That's the bias of our life. And if we don't constantly come back to Jesus, if we don't constantly come back to the gospel, then the frigid air of self-justification will start to consume your bones and you'll try everything you can to get warm and you'll jump up and down and you'll do okay when everything's going all right. You'll be okay when everyone's doing what they ought to do. But boy, oh boy, when the world blows up, you'll be blaming everybody else and, and, and seeking to self-justify yourself. It's the world that's gone crazy. I'm okay. She done this. He did that. They would do whatever, whatever, whatever. And what's going on inside of you? You've got away from the fire. You've got away from the heat of the gospel. And we need to come back to it. And I think we need to come back to it all the time. Because we, we can be so... Masked with the pretense of this, you know, Christian thing, this 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 righteous thing. Go to the fire, because when you're at the fire, you can face anything. Lay down your works, and you have that assurance. Not just rest for your soul now. But the third rest in that passage, and go and have a read of it, is the eternal rest. The rest in the hereafter. There's the physical rest, which I think we understand. There's the internal rest, which our society has lost its bearings on. And ultimately, there's the eternal rest. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 